BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Rachel Myro. Sexual content has been a star player on the internet from early days, but there's a battle brewing behind the scenes. Religiously motivated anti-pornography advocates are pushing financial companies like Visa and JP Morgan to cut ties with platforms like Pornhub and OnlyFans. The anti-porn folks frame it as a fight against child abuse and human trafficking. But is that really what's going on. Today on Forum, we'll dig into the details and talk to independent sex workers about how this fight is affecting them. All that's coming up right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro, in for Mina Kim. In recent weeks, you may have noticed the UK-based subscription platform service OnlyFans popped into the news headlines in a most bizarre fashion. The company, which is rumored to be keen to go public, announced it would ban the explicit sexual content that made it big in the first place, starting October 1st. After protest and pushback, OnlyFans reversed course. Its CEO initially claimed he was struggling to maintain banking relationships with a number of big financial players, which raises the question, why are financial companies taking it upon themselves to police legal activity? As a note, this conversation will talk about adult themes and sexual content, so listener discretion is advised. Let's go ahead and introduce our guest today. We're talking with Alexandria LaRue, co-executive chapter director of Sex Workers Outreach Project USA, also known as SWAP USA, Samantha Cole, staff writer covering tech and sex at Vice's Motherboard, and Mike Stabile, director of public affairs uh, for the Free Speech Coalition. Thank you all for joining us. And Samantha, why don't we start with you? Give us the lay of the land. Is it fair to describe, say, Pornhub as the YouTube of porn and OnlyFans as more like Patreon? Yeah, I think that's probably close to an approximation. Um, Pornhub has definitely got a lot more of the free porn that people are more familiar with in the mainstream. Uh, OnlyFans is a lot like Patreon, if folks are familiar with that. Um, OnlyFans is a subscription site. Um, you find a model or a creator that you like, and then you subscribe to see their work for you know 6 or 10 or $20, whatever their set price is per month. And then you can do this for individual models across the platform that you like. You can get their subscriber-only work and see that. Um, you can also chat with them directly in direct messages. Um, yeah, so OnlyFans as a company has always been really careful to keep some distance between themselves and porn. It's never really fully copped to being a porn site, so to speak, like Pornhub has. But um, that's despite the majority of users being there for the sexually explicit content and to kind of sell that content. So... Um, yeah, it's it's close. Um, OnlyFans wouldn't call itself a porn site <laughs> like Pornhub <laughs> would, but um, yeah, it's it's closer to Patreon for sure. Alexandria, give us a sense of how OnlyFans works. Why is it a favorite of content creators in this industry? Honestly, they gave content creators a place where they could have a bank that was reliable for them because as Samantha said, it's subscription-based site. So similar to Patreon, you can subscribe to someone for their set amount of money, but 
you know, we all love the idea of a place where we could theoretically feel safe, but also had an interface that didn't have a big gap in ability. And that was a big selling point, I know. So, so in a sense, we're talking about a, an army of what independent contractors. <laughs> Is that a fair way to put it? Gig workers, uh, you know, um, OnlyFans provides the platform, and then you can have individual operators who who don't necessarily need to have a boss. Correct. You can be your own boss, so you are an independent contractor in that way. I wouldn't necessarily call it an army. I'd probably call it a gang. But yes, <laughs> we're definitely a gang of people. <laughs> and and Mike, you know, take us into this conversation now more deeply. The the public travails of OnlyFans in recent weeks. This is just the latest uh, manifestation of a years long fight with lots of players. Yeah, I think that what we've seen, Sam mentioned Pornhub, certainly, um, but but even before that, we've seen a rise in an evangelical faith-based uh, attack on online adult content um, that has many fronts and, and there are many reasons for it. But uh, in the most recent battle, what, what, uh, what we saw was we saw... Uh, Representative Ann Wagner of Missouri uh, write a letter to the Department of Justice in early August calling for an investigation on OnlyFans. That followed by essentially a bank run from bankers who said, well, I don't know if we want to be associated with a product uh, that they're calling for an investigation. But I think that what's, you know, and and then OnlyFans sort of making the move to say, well, we're going to move away from adult content. I think what we've seen is you have groups like Nicosi, the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, formerly uh, morality and media, and evangelical groups like Exodus Cry, um, frustrated that the old ways of censoring sexual content no longer work. You no longer have effective obscenity prosecutions at the federal level. Um, you know, they, the, you know, the protests against, you know, getting Cosmo taken out of Walmart, which was morality and media's old sort of strategy, you know, don't have as much resonance. And so what they've done is they've taken accusations of trafficking, which is much more potent, and levied them against a series of different porn sites in an effort to pressure bankers to deny um, to deny banking these sites. And I think that what happened with OnlyFans, which surprised them, was um, you know, the gang, as Alexandria said, fought back and said, this is this is ridiculous. We are legal content creators. We are our own bosses. This is giving us independence and, and power. And what you're doing is actually um, not only robbing us, but robbing us of that that independence. Uh, Samantha, tell us what you think about what Mike is saying. I mean, I, I was having this conversation with our producers uh, b- before the show began. You know, there, there's a lot of human trafficking, for instance, in construction, but we don't ban construction altogether or seek to shut down major construction players in that industry. We we seek to fight the human trafficking. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everything Mike said is spot on. Um, it's really interesting and telling to see where these um, organizations are going after folks. Um, you know, they're attacking the labor rights of sex workers and porn performers and don't care as much about things like housing stability, income stability, things like that, that um, would actually make trafficking um, less prevalent and make it less of an issue and, you know, put people in a much better spot to avoid exploitation, which they say is their whole goal. Um, yeah, and that's all uh, kind of goes back to the fact that the banks are incredibly risk averse. Um, they face these really big fines if they're seen as doing business with some high risk customers. Um, and I think that's kind of what we're seeing happen here is, you know, banks are seeing, like Mike said, this um, big conversation happening about um, whether OnlyFans or sex work in general is exploitation and whether it's sex trafficking, which it absolutely is not. Um, and then, you know, they're afraid to do business with them. Um, and that's all coming from these narratives that, you know, paint sex work as this um, this huge problem that's creating trafficking as a whole, which is also not true, um, and making the problem worse. And yeah, that's kind of what we've seen happen with OnlyFans. Um, we saw it happen earlier this year with Pornhub, where Visa and MasterCard pulled their services from Pornhub following really similar kind of trafficking uh, panic. Um, A lot of it is really unfounded and um, it's hard to kind of fight against that narrative when it's 
really everywhere. And obviously, um, the banks were spooked this time by these accusations against OnlyFans in particular. Um, Alexandria, why don't OnlyFans creators just switch to cryptocurrencies? Well, well, we say that it's it's a great question, but the thing is, it's kind of it's kind of dipped in privilege at that point. Um, there is a lot of access that folks don't have, and that includes intellectual access. That includes people with disabilities. Um, OnlyFans acted as the bank, and it made things very easy. But we're asking people to learn a whole new understanding of how money works. And though they probably should learn it, they should be able to have adequate time to also learn it. It would behoove the companies that are making these websites to have cryptocurrency as an option because we look back to 2016 with the taking down of Backpage, with Craigslist, and Visa pulled out and then MasterCard pulled out and then Visa pulled out right after them. And then they switched to cryptocurrency. And a lot of people in 2016, myself included, learned cryptocurrency. Now we're in a a different situation economically as a country and the need for jobs and the need to make money is at a much higher stake and what time they might have available to themselves to learn something new fiduciary wise may not even be there. So as Mike said, a lot of us are feeling like that this because we trusted a company that said that they were worth their salt and then they showed us who we, who they were. Uh, just going to remind you, uh, we do have the seven deadly sin words. I, I think they are. There's a list of words anyway we're not supposed to say on public radio. Uh, but that said, you, you know, you raise another uh, point, too, which is is that it's not just the creators. It, it's also their fans. There are an awful lot of people who just aren't, uh, they don't hold cryptocurrency. They haven't figured it out yet. That's very true. It takes a good amount of time to understand it to a degree that you feel comfortable using it as your main source of money. But the bad thing is, is that it still fluctuates. So we're still working at not full capacity. We're working at a deficit still because we don't know what that fluctuation is going to look like because, again, the state of where things are, where investments are, where other bankings are. So we're still having to rely on these people that we know we can't trust, but we have to trust someone because our bills are still looking at us in the face and they want to be paid. Give us a sense of, uh, you know, for people who have not been to OnlyFans, what does the interface look like? There are sort of like tiers of engagement. Yes. On OnlyFans, when you subscribe to someone, you can see a regular feed that they might post. You can interact with them via message, but they can also post content that they might have worked a bit harder on. So they would like you to pay a bit more for it. And you'll see those things. You're also welcome to tip them on anything that they post. That is something that I haven't seen in a long time as far as interface goes. And when I joined OnlyFans in 2017, they even allowed you to pull out money anytime you wanted. We're talking about online sex work in the wake of OnlyFans' suspension of its ban on explicit content. Have you used OnlyFans as a content creator or subscriber? What was your reaction to the announced ban? Give us a call and join the conversation at 866-733-6786. I'll give that number out again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. You can also email us. We're forum at kqed.org. But whatever you do, stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro, and we're talking about online sex work in the wake of OnlyFans' suspension of its ban on explicit content with Alexandria LaRue of Sex Workers Outreach Project USA, Samantha Cole of Vice's Motherboard, and Mike Stabile of Free Speech Coalition, and joining us now is Swan Rain, a sex worker who uses OnlyFans. Thank you for being here. 
Thank you for having me. Uh, so, so you know, there's a lot of bait and switch that seems to be going on. Uh, were you using other platforms before OnlyFans? And, and, you know, how deeply can you trust their, their uh, promise that they've gone back on their original plan in, in recent weeks? Um, so I'm, I was really, really new to making online content. So I think OnlyFans is uh, one of the first platforms that I've ever been on. <laughs> And yeah, um, so I've been on OnlyFans for about two years now, um, and that's definitely not my my strength, not my forte. But I do rely on it for income, and I, I I'm wishfully hoping that you know they're going to stick with their reversal. But I don't know how much of that is within their hands. Um, so I'm 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 glad that they're they're pushing back, <laughs> but I I think they're fighting something that's bigger than just, you know, uh, just the moment. And I think that every platform that I rely on and that other sex workers rely on is facing the same threat. I know we've asked Alexandria earlier to talk about the appeal of OnlyFans to content creators, but but you can you tell us why OnlyFans really works for you or has in the last two years? For me, um, so two major things that made OnlyFans pretty important to me is uh, the passing of FOSTA SESTA, which changed um, like my access to advertising for in-person work, and and then the COVID pandemic, which like cut down my ability to work outside the home. So being able to work from home um, and be pretty much my own like, 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 a, like a contractor, um, as well as having other forms of income, especially when I was having to scramble and figure out what I was going to do um, as far as uh, advertising goes after FOSTA SESTA. Um, I'm gonna break in there and ask, Samantha, uh, would you be able to tell us what FOSTA SESTA is? Absolutely, uh, FOSTA SESTA is a law that was signed in 2018 it stands for the fight online sex trafficking act and the stop enabling sex traffickers act it's a combination of these two bills um so it basically amended section 230 of the communication decency act um which you know protects online platforms from liability to kind of carve out a section of that that says well now platforms are liable to um, be accountable for anything that could be seen as sex trafficking. Um, and it was very vague as it was written. Um, it's very overbroad. A lot of um, groups came forward and said that it was unconstitutional. Um, but after it was signed and even uh, before a lot of these websites that people were relying on to um, do online sex work like Craigslist Personals, um, a few others, lots of others that were smaller um, went under because they couldn't stand up to these liabilities that, you know, anything that people were saying about um, sex work or, you know, anything that could be construed as trafficking, which um, under this law was a lot of things, a lot of sexual speech um, would stand them up to a lot of fines um, and liabilities. So um, FOSTA-SESTA is, um, it immediately started having impacts on people who were using online spaces to do sex work. They had to go back to uh, full service sex work in person um, into some not great situations. Um, so it was immediately harmful and it still is harmful um, because we're seeing it being used against, um, you know, these websites that really have nothing to do with trafficking um, and are just here for sexual speech. Um, FOSTA SESA did nothing for um, preventing sex trafficking that's been, you know, researched and proven. Um, and it really just did a whole lot of harm to online sex workers. Mike, you know, I, I remember reading the, the U.S. Government Accountability Office released a report on, on the first three years of FOSTA-SESTA and, and found that uh, the Department of Justice filed just one case under its rules against promoting or recklessly disregarding sex trafficking. Uh, is it your sense, uh, as Samantha is suggesting, that, that the the real value of FOSTA-SESTA, if you can call it that, is that it's had a huge chilling effect on the industry? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as Sam said, it, you know, it, it, if there is the potential that some, that your site was used for trafficking, um, there's a there's a case against Facebook, there's a case against Twitter that's using uh, FOSTA at this point. 
um, you know, you, pertain, uh, you potentially can pay a lot in damages. And so what platforms did immediately was to say, listen, we don't, we don't want that risk. And so we're gonna eliminate all sexual speech. And so you had Craigslist dump, dump it as, as Sam pointed out. Um, you have people over patrolling content that, sh that is legal, that's not related to trafficking or, or underage content. Um, just because they don't want that liability. And what it did was, I mean, and I'm sure Alexander can talk about this because I know Swap had to deal with, you know, uh, and other sex work groups had to deal with the fact that even forums where people shared information um, among sex workers came down. So you had subreddits on Reddit that, that were taken down. There were resources that were online for sex workers. And I think that it, it is part of this larger campaign. I think that what makes, uh, when you look at these groups that have been advocating for it, what they, they term themselves as sex work abolitionists and porn abolitionists. Um, they don't want it to exist at all. And, and I think that their goal is to make it as hard as possible. Um, they say they're doing it to stop exploitation, but their means is to make it as hard as possible to do sex work, to make it as dangerous as possible in the hopes that that will stop people from actually doing it. Um, but of course, a lot of people get hurt uh, in the meantime. I want to mention, folks, that we reached out to multiple banks and financial institutions to invite them on the show or encourage them to comment, uh, BNY Mellon, Visa, PayPal, JP Mortgage, uh, uh, Morgan, rather, and they all declined to participate. Alexandria, I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, uh, it, it sounds like there's a lobbying effort going on uh, at various different pain points in the system, you know, the the legislative, the regulatory, uh, the financial, um, has SWAP felt compelled to, to try and, you know, lobby back, to try and push from the other side? Well, because we're a 501c3, we legally cannot do lobbying up, up until a certain point. But what we do try to do is provide resources to folks that may be in need of them. So that resources like Mike, um, was saying, you know, our online places that we've literally been pushed out of. So distributing resources to people has been our mainstay. My co-executive director, uh, Phoenix, they do so much work in policy. They sit in policy meetings. They read through policy. We want to make sure that we know exactly what's going on, even if we can't lobby. So we can be in these rooms and talk to these folks if we can. Um, but our mainstay is, is mostly taking care of the people that may not have the resources or rights to be able to take care of it themselves. Uh, Swan, has any of this uh, affected you personally? Like, have you had to, have you seen payments bounce back? Uh, you know, or, are you worried about having to switch to crypto in, in the near future? Um, I personally haven't dealt with a lot of that, though I'm pretty careful. Um, I read up on how not to get my account banned for discussing certain topics. Um, and I'm, I'm mainly only on that one platform, but I know other platforms each have their specific things you can't talk about. Um, and it's just stuff relating to different kinds of sexuality. Um, so that's that's pretty limiting. Um, I, I don't use cryptocurrency for OnlyFans, um, though I do use it in other areas. <laughs> That's right. You know, you raise a good point that the, a, a lot of sex workers have a sort of diversified portfolio of activities uh, because it's uh, it, it's not a for, a steady form of income. Yeah, that's that's pretty true for me. Um, I I definitely started pouring in a lot more effort into OnlyFans once the pandemic started and I lost um, what I would call my civilian job <laughs> um, and. Yeah, um, and it slowly did grow to be a reliable source of income for me, and I definitely couldn't have gotten through the pandemic without it. But I, even when this announcement was made, I was already starting to think that I can't just rely on this one platform because these platforms are getting taken down. Um, so yeah, most most sex workers are more on are on more than one platform, but it's pretty exhausting to to manage that. <laughs> 
It sounds like it. We're talking about online sex work in the wake of OnlyFans' suspension of its ban on explicit content, and we'd love you, the listener, to join the conversation. Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We're happy to share Share your comments and questions on the air with our panel of guests today, Alexandria LaRue from Sex Workers Outreach Project USA, Samantha Cole, a staff writer at Vice's Motherboard, and Mike Stabile, Director of Public Affairs at the Free Speech Coalition. Also with us now, we have Sage the Flame, a porn performer who uses OnlyFans. Uh, Sage, have you been able to catch much of our conversation up until now? Um, yes, I have. I've been listening for the past few minutes. I think everyone has offered um, really brilliant things to say. Uh, how do you think this current controversy is going to affect the way you operate on OnlyFans? Or uh, are you already sort of like Swan folding in concerns about, you know, <laughs> the regulatory framework, the banking industry in into the way you operate? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I will say that before OnlyFans announced their ban, I was already working towards diversifying my platforms because I recognize the importance of not having all of my eggs in one basket. Um, but upon them announcing that, um, you know, it, it did make me anxious because um, I wasn't planning on rushing that process of diversifying my platforms. I like to take my time um, with things. Um, so it was already in the works um, and I already had that mindset, but I didn't, you know, I didn't think I would have to, you know, make such rash decisions so quickly. Um, you know, I, I sort of wonder if uh, if you feel like uh, there's a kind of confusion of, you know, there's, there's nobody sort of publicly lobbying for sex work. Uh, and, and so in the public mind, you know, especially when they read stories about things that are bad, that nobody wants to happen, like child abuse or human trafficking or, mm-hmm. or revenge porn, that, that they just conflate it with everybody who's working in this industry and think, oh, well, there you go. That's all of it right there. Right, right. Um, yeah, I think it's important to really include sex workers in that conversation because, right, I think everybody is on the same page that we want to abolish um, sex trafficking and revenge porn and all those things. But um, it's in order to do that, it's important to include it. First of all, it's important to be able to make that distinction. And then it's important to include uh, sex workers in that conversation because we have a better understanding of how this industry works and we have a better uh, we have you know, because of our proximity to everything, we are able to, uh, you know, see what's going on within the industry. So it's important to include us in that conversation and moving towards abolishing those things that we all don't want to see in this world. Well, let's go to the phones now. And Maxine in Oakland. Um, Hi, I'm Maxine Holloway. Hi, how are you? Tell us about yourself. Yeah, so I am a local sex worker. Um, I'm also a sex worker advocate. I'm one of the co-founders of Bay Area Worker Support, BOSS. Um, And BOSS uh, provides resources and mutual aid for Bay Area sex workers. Um, And I wanted to just bring up how much much things like FOSTA-SESTA and the banks and what's going on with OnlyFans is affecting our communities. Um, We provide mini grants for local workers that are experiencing hardship, um, as well as a lot of other different resources to help people get through some tumultuous times. Um, And we, in the past three years, we've just seen such an uptick of need, people needing help with their rent, some extra money to buy groceries. Um, And with everything going on with OnlyFans right now, we're really expecting to see a big outreach in some additional financial support. So, I mean, this this past year between like COVID and everything, we've distributed over 500 grants. We help support 15 to 20 Bay Area sex workers every month. Um, so, like the the repercussions of this is not casual. It's not it's not lighthearted. Like people are are having a really hard time, um, and. In true sex worker fashion, we 
organize and we take care of each other. Um, and so I'm really grateful that organizations like BOSS and SWAP exist to help uh, get people through these really uncertain times. You know, Alexandria, it, it, it's interesting what we're hearing. Um, it sounds like there's a, um, a lot of self-awareness in the industry among workers. People are talking about questions like, you know, labor exploitation. They're talking about questions like stigma. Uh, they're, they're helping educate each other uh, to, to survive in, in a business that, you know, is as much about big businesses and big tech platforms and big banking, uh, as it is about, you know, the little person just trying to make a living. I can't disagree with that. The thing is sex workers, we've always been on top of it and we've always taken care of each other, just like what they were say the caller was saying on the phone who takes care of people in the bay area the thing is mutual aid has always existed a lot of america has just now found out about it through the pandemic but as sex workers we have always been doing that for each other i've been a sex worker longer than i have been at this point and i know um, in-person working and non-in-person and when i was at a point where i was unhoused and i didn't have food to put in my body so I could keep going, sex workers helped me. The times where I couldn't pay my rent, sex workers helped me. And we keep helping each other, whether it's through free education, whether it's through having mutual aid, whether it's just having somebody there who understands what you're going through and is happy to bend an ear. Like that's what our, we have a hotline and our hotline's everything from giving people resources, but also just having someone to talk to that's not gonna judge you for the things that you're doing. That's beautifully put. I, I wanna thank uh, uh, Swan Rain and Sage the Flame for, for joining us. Thank you so much for sharing your stories today. Uh, we've been talking about online sex work in the wake of the OnlyFans suspension of its ban on explicit content. And we've been hearing from Alexandria LaRue, Samantha Cole, Mike Stabile. Uh, Samantha, I'm wondering if you can tell us uh, in short about your reporting about Nicholas Kristoff in the New York Times, his reporting. It's not what it seems at face value, is it? Yeah, so um, this goes back to, it would be last year, I guess, end of last year, where the New York Times published an opinion piece by Nicholas Kristof, who's an opinion col columnist, um, accusing basically Pornhub of hosting, you know, a ton of trafficking on the site. Um, you know, they, they talked to survivors of trafficking um, and basically called for, he called for Pornhub to be accountable for these crimes um, and was platforming quite a few groups that wanted to shut down Pornhub. Um, and that kind of resulted in uh, MasterCard and Visa, as we talked about before, pulling services from Pornhub for the same reasons that banks were skittish about OnlyFans. Um, they didn't want to be associated with these accusations. Uh, something that we're going to continue talking about after this short break. Join the conversation. Give us a call, 866-733-6786. We're talking about the online sex industry. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. But whatever you do, stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro. You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro, and we're talking about online sex work in the wake of OnlyFans' suspension of its ban on explicit content with Alexandria LaRue, co-executive chapter director of Sex Workers Outreach Project USA, Samantha Cole, staff writer covering tech and sex for Vice's Motherboard, and Mike Stabile, director of public affairs uh, with the Free Speech Coalition. Why don't we go to the phones again? We've got Alice in Palo Alto. Uh, hello, I'm Alice, and I'm 82. I'm an advocate for voting rights, but I want to say that I now want to also be an advocate for the rights for sex workers. I think they should be legalized, and I will take an action to talk to both my state senator and my state assemblyman um, and our congresswoman to discuss this, because I think you've brought up some really telling and important features and i want to thank everybody for doing this wonderful 
uh, event today on KQED. Thank you so much for those comments, Alice. you know, Wallace writes, uh, I've lived all over the world and find that the United States is so closeted with sex. Other countries are open with sex and nudity, but here it's rated X. Violence, though, is glorified. Uh, Doe writes, at what age should sex work be legal? Seems to me that 18 is too young. Uh, anyone want to chime in here, Alexandria? I would love to. I actually live in Texas. Um, And if you are unfamiliar, we just passed a law about two and a half months ago that disallowed people that are younger than 21 to dance in clubs. The thing is, consent is up to an adult. And if the adult age is 18, and unless they change the age for entering into the armed forces to 21, it looks like 18 is the age of consent. People need a place to survive, and it's not up to us to tell them how they have to survive. When you're in a situation that's dire, and maybe those people have not been in that, and I guess good for them, you have to make choices that you would not normally make because, again, you're trying to survive. And to take that away from folks who might have gotten the boot out of their house as soon as they hit 18 on the clock that would be unfair it's unkind it's cruel even um ah yes <laughs> sorry about that i didn't realize you'd stop talking you know um mike i i'm kind of wondering uh if you can talk to the fact that um there especially with pornhub we saw recently in in the last few years that it was called out for for having lots of not so good content bad, very bad content on on its site uh, just in December 2020, you know, a massive clearing of something like 10 million of its 13 and a half million videos at the time. Um, Is it your sense that that some some platforms are better actors than others in terms of keeping it clean for the entire industry? Yeah, and I actually I would I would take issue a little bit with the the, the ten million videos. I think that what happened with uh, Pornhub is something that happens across the internet. It happens on Facebook. It happens with Skype. It happens with Dropbox. Is that there are going to be bad actors who are going to abuse a platform, no matter how aggressive the moderation. Pornhub was actually a fairly aggressive moderator, much more so than someone like Facebook, um, because you know Pornhub knows that if anything appears on their site, that they're going to be seen as you know, liable. They're sort of unique in that regard, whereas people can see Facebook, which actually hosts the majority of, of CSAM online, uh, that's child sex abuse material. They're, they're I think, 95% of the reports um, come from Facebook. No one assumes that Facebook is actually actively promoting it, uh, even if people are abusing the system to do it. So, you know, Pornhub was, as you mentioned with the, the Nick Kristoff article, Pornhub was targeted by these evangelical groups. Nick Kristoff brought them in, he did not mention that they were coming from faith-based groups or that they were sex work abolitionists and, you know, used anecdotes to try to paint Pornhub as a uniquely bad actor when, in fact, it wasn't. Um, and so I think that what we see is that, you know, often it's it's we're looking at data-free information, you know, or we're looking at, at statistics-free information. We're looking often at at anecdotes as a way to um, go after adult sites. So I think that there is, uh, as Alexandria has mentioned, you know, it, there is, it's not that there's not revenge porn online. It's not that, that CSAM doesn't exist. It's just the idea that this is sp- something that's specific to the adult industry or endemic or even particularly bad within the adult industry. And that, according to the data, just isn't true. I think that one thing that people don't realize is that adult sites moderate content before it goes out. And that's OnlyFans as well. Um, you have to be verified as a creator. You have to do facial scans. You have to go through, you know, you have, your ID has to be verified by a, an independent third party. It has to match your face. Any creator who's on the screen with you has to be identified as well. Um, whereas, you know, Facebook or Twitter, you know, you can post something and it appears instantaneously. So the problem isn't necessarily adult sites. I think that um, the problem is that you know, there are always going to be bad actors on the internet. And as technology improves, they're going to find ways to evade things. And what we need to be able to do is constantly up our game 
to do it. And I think that we should actually look at adult sites and we should look at sex worker platforms as leaders in how to do this. I think that when you mention the numbers on Pornhub, it's not necessarily that those videos were bad. It's just that when Visa and MasterCard pulled out, um, Pornhub pulled any video that wasn't independently verified, meaning they didn't have a direct line as to who it came from. It didn't mean that it was revenge porn. It didn't mean it was underage material or had anything to do with trafficking. But in an effort to get Visa and MasterCard back, they pulled everything that they couldn't absolutely identify. And that's why you saw such a volume, not because Pornhub was a uniquely bad actor. Samantha, does this make sense? Like there, there are sort of two approaches to, to, to keeping platforms clean or cleaner. There's the proactive approach, you know, requiring verification of the poster and the material. And there's the reactive approach, taking it down when you realize that you have something up you don't want to have up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, everything that Mike just said was um, completely accurate as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's um, it's a function of these platforms where, you know, Twitter and Facebook, people are there for the immediate gratification. So they're not incentivized to put any kind of waiting period or, you know, hold on to something until they can moderate it before you can post it and get a bunch of likes. Um, whereas something like Pornhub or OnlyFans, you know, people are posting things that are you know, fully made usually, um, you know, and they're, they're more willing to wait for that, moder that moderation to happen. And also Pornhub is more willing to kind of put in that work because they're being targeted by these attacks. Um, it's, it goes back to what we were saying earlier with, you know, you don't see like construction crews being, um, you know, accused of trafficking and things like that. Um, it's, you know, telling that uh, porn sites are under attack by these, these groups who say that they're dealing in trafficking. Um, the same way with Twitter and Facebook where they um, also have a ton of, you know, abusive material on them, but, you know, we don't see calls for, Facebook to be taken down. And also we wouldn't want that to happen. Um, we don't want Facebook to go down. We don't want Twitter to go down. Um, so we're not, when we're pointing that out. We're not saying, you know, let's go after them next. We're saying, you know, why are you applying this kind of pressure to one group? It's because you're singling out uh, sex workers and the things that make them money and the things that free them up from, um, you know, to be able to, you know, pay rent and feed their families and things like that and to be independent and have a say in their own futures. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a really, that's a long way to answer the question, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I would say that, um, the moderation practices of these sites are different. Um, and you know, if, if you're going to go after trafficking on one, then, you know, you have to ask yourself, what's the difference between that and you know, labor rights in any other industry, um, or on any other site. Alexandria, we, we hear a lot of different, uh, actors in this field, you know, uh, putting politics first, putting, uh, you know, uh, legal concerns for themselves, <laughs> self-preservation first. Uh, are, are some platforms better than others in, in terms of putting the safety of sex workers first? Honestly, uh, most of these places are trying to do, uh, it's, it's a lot of, it's, it's a mixture, honestly, between people who are fully 100% capitalistic to, to people that are maybe partially so, but a lot of it is just wrapped up, dipped, battered and deep fried in white supremacy. Because when you are talking about trafficking or you're talking about the folks who, who are trafficked, et cetera, et cetera, or the numbers that get put, those are black and brown people. Um, when you're talking about the people that they go after first, those are bl also black and brown people. Um, when you're talking about websites like Facebook who are allowed to post the death of a black man over and over and over again in secession and allow people to keep posting it, but then will take down a post that's trying to fundraise to help someone you know, pay their rent who happens to be a sex worker, then you have a problem that goes deeper than that surface level of are they trying to be helpful or are they not? And it's what they're built on and what they're trying to perpetuate or keep going and what they're willing to do to actually help folks. And that's really the real question. Are they willing to help people or are they not willing to help people? Do you have platforms reaching out to Swap USA or, or uh, is it more like you have to pound on the door to get their attention? We have to pound down the door like we're the we're a D and D game and it's the first dungeon. <laughs> it's <laughs> honestly, 
we have to because otherwise they won't listen to us. And even though we all, Samantha, Mike, and I, like we all have a reason to be in these rooms, um, Laflame, um, Rain from earlier, we all have a reason to be in these rooms, but they don't always listen to us because as you said earlier, societally, we are so buttoned up figuratively and literally about how we feel about sexual content. And the fact that someone doesn't hold sex on the same value scale that they do, that upsets them. That means that our morals may not align. So they don't even want to take these meetings. And the meetings that we have had, I won't say with whom, but some social media platforms, they are, um, let's say almost blissfully unaware that it's kind of offensive that they don't know that what their algorithms and their rules are making these decisions and kicking people off platforms and deleting posts and that kind of thing. And I have to give a lot of thanks to my co-executive director, Phoenix, for meeting with them for a second time to really get in their ear because that's, that's what it takes. And I'm sure Samantha and Mike know exactly what I'm talking about. You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro in Fermina Kim. So, folks, we've got about less than 10 minutes at this point. Uh, I'd like to have us focus on the future here. Where do you see things going? Where where is it going for for OnlyFans? Uh, Where is it going for Pornhub? Where is it going for the political conversation? Uh, Samantha, can you look into your crystal ball and, and anticipate what kinds of headlines we're going to see in the next few months? I wish I could. Um, that would be a great skill to have. Um, I mean, just to talk about the very immediate future, I think right now with OnlyFans, a lot of people are just wondering what's going to happen next. Um, OnlyFans said that they were suspending this decision. They were suspending the ban. Um, that's with big air quotes. Um, but they weren't saying they were canceling it completely or, you know, they're um, kind of putting it off to the future, basically, is kind of what a lot of people took from that. Um, So they're waiting to see what happens. Um, A lot of folks lost a lot of subscribers during this mess. uh, And a lot of people are kind of trying to hold OnlyFans accountable for that, for the confusion that um, ensued with this rollout of this policy that then was retracted. Um, A lot of people, um, like we talked about earlier, and Alexandria mentioned, you know, were um, diversifying some of these, these income streams and looking at new places to host their content. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as the conversation as a whole, um, I think Mike and Alexandria could speak more to that, but, um, I, I would say we're going to be dealing with this for quite a while. These, these groups are, um, you know, they kind of have this hold on, um, these discussions right now and we have to kind of call that back. Um, and all these conversations really are intertwined. I mean, we're talking about the, um, you know, the abortion bans and Roe versus Wade in Texas this week. All of these are very interconnected. We're talking about bodily autonomy and, you know, our rights to choose and to choose, you know, what we do with our bodies. Um, so these conversations need to happen. Um, these these policies are tested on sex workers first, a lot of the times, online and off. Um, and you know, it's it's all very much our all of our futures, not just sex workers' futures. Um, so I think if we can get that conversation going and really keep this momentum going. Um, that would be the way to go. That would be a positive outlook on it. <laughs> but yeah. Mike, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think that I, I, I don't want to say I'm hopeful at all because I think that it's a very bleak situation in a lot of ways. But what we saw in the advent of Foster Sessa and what we saw again last time with OnlyFans was that we saw um, sex workers sort of rise up and, and make their voices heard. And I think that that's really important. I think that the conversation even... From you know nine months ago when when Pornhub happened, there was this platforming of these these uh, you know anti-trafficking evangelicals, and it was their message that that came. Nine months later, I think what we're seeing is that a lot more media is listening to sex workers and platforming sex workers and understanding how this type of uh, censorship affects them. And so I think that it, there's just a, a broadening of the discussion. I don't think that the war is over. We're certainly dealing with a war on porn and they know to target the banks, they know to target the credit card companies. But if you look at even the last week, 
Um, you know, there were sex workers across the country who uh, launched an acceptance matters campaign to try to pressure the banks and, and, and MasterCard in particular to say, hey, listen, um, this is harming us, you know, and, and share their stories. So I think that as, as difficult as it is, I hope that within all of this trauma are the seeds of, um, you know, the, the tide turning. Ah, at the tide turning. What what an interesting image there, Alexandria. I mean, from the beginning of the internet, sex workers have have uh, been. I guess I keep going back to this idea of troops, right? Like they, they on the front lines of this battle, and and what what happens to sex workers points to, in many ways, the the future for the rest of us. Uh, wh where do you see this this fight, this conversation going? I hope that honestly, that more people are, that aren't sex workers are educating themselves and listening to sex workers. Because when we talk about things we don't always get listened to, as I was saying before, for those puritanical reasons. But what we really want people to do is see us as human beings. And they're still not even doing that at a minimum doing that part. And OnlyFans is no no exception. They, like Samantha said, big, big, big old air quotes, uh, reverse the suspension or s stop the suspension. But we all know that the quarter is going to end at the end of the year. And yes, it is good to diversify, but they also had name recognition. They messed up a lot of things for a lot of people. And I want people who are going to create these new platforms or whatever they're going to do to hire sex workers. I was in a discussion on Twitter about a week ago and there were people who were involved with some platforms, but they weren't getting paid. And that doesn't make sense to me. They need to reach out to sex workers and pay them. Well, that seems like a good place to end this conversation. And I want to thank everybody involved in this conversation today for joining us and giving us our uh, their thoughts. We have Alexandria LaRue, co-executive chapter director for Sex Workers Outreach Project USA, Samantha Cole, staff writer with Vice's Motherboard, and Mike Stabile, director of public affairs at the Free Speech Coalition. Earlier this hour, we heard from Swan Rain and Sage the Flame, uh, both of whom use only fans. I'm Rachel Myro. Forum is produced by Judy Campbell, Tina Lauerberg, Ariana Prail, Blanca Torres, Grace Wan, and Caroline Smith. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Generosity Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.